Pray with me. Almighty God, we pray that your spirit would speak to each one of us this morning, especially to this preacher, so that the words that come would be your words and the words that get stuck in our hearts and in our minds would be your words that would lead us into your truth and that that truth would lead us into living as you would have us live. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus, your Son, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Please be seated. If I get a little closer, I kind of like it down here. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, but if you watch any of those kind of news magazine kind of shows, if you watch the news with any regularity, or if you just have eyes to see around you in your neighborhood, you you probably know there is a growing problem in our culture, a problem of disconnectedness. We lived, um, we, we bought a home in 2008 and we moved from Jacksonville to Fleming Island. Now, when we moved, we had lived for two years in our apartment and we knew the neighbors we shared a wall with because they had a dog and we had a dog and though their uh, stogie was like 80 pounds and our Rory was like six pounds, um, our dog adored their dog. And so we knew their names and the name of their dog. And that was it. Two years. And we knew nobody else in the building. Sixteen families. Didn't, didn't even catch names. And so we said, well, when we move, we will be better this time. Start for, you know, after two years, it's kind of hard to say, hey, uh, you know, I'm Sam. I, nice to meet you. Because, uh, you know, we're not really new and you're not new, but we were bad neighbors and, and it's hard to start over. So we said, we're starting over in Fleming Island and we will, we will get it right. And so for four years, we learned the names of about six people. Um, and we knew some of the jobs they did and we knew, well, that guy, he throws a lot of parties that keep us up at night. And uh, that was about it. And we said, okay, well, we moved to seminary, you know, we'll do better. We'll meet our neighbors. And um, we actually got invited into our neighbor's house about two weeks before they moved (laughs) and never met really the new neighbors. It's hard to get connected, isn't it? And and the other uh, sort of corollary to that or the other thing that's going along with that is that as people get more and more disconnected individually, relationally, they're getting disconnected from this sense of purpose. Let's see if I can do two at once. Ah. Look at that. Vocationally, they don't know what they're supposed to do with their lives. They're disconnected from a greater story, a greater good, a greater call. In our current neighborhood, we've been here now for a year and a half. And we've done a little better. We're getting, you know, it's 12 years. It's taken us a little time, but we're getting a little bit better at this. This idea of connecting. But in our neighborhood... After talking to some of our neighbors, we've learned that almost nobody on our street has been in anybody else's house. And some of these neighbors have lived on our street since the homes were built in 2000. They wave when they do yard work. 
And they talk about the yard work and the hurricanes and it's hot. But nothing connects them together. There's nothing that, um, I mean, that's it. Like that's, all, that's all there is for, for some of them. It's a problem, yes? Okay, we can agree. Good. One slide down. We're still in agreement. This is good. There is good news. If you can read my microscopic print. Sorry, we had a little technology thing this morning. But there's good news, right? Paul writes, when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we're his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Are we disconnected anymore? Are we lonely? Everyone can come and be a part of this family. And nobody has to be alone. Young, old, dark-skinned, light-skinned, Jew, Gentile, smart, not as smart, educated, not educated, good with tools, not as good with tools. I mean, anyone not disconnected anymore. And there's other good news. I love how the Westminster Shorter Catechism, a very uh, old Reformation document, answers the question, like, what are we supposed to do? What's the point of people? Our chief end, it says, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Are we without a calling? So the gospel of Jesus Christ answers the problem that I can't walk through my neighborhood without encountering. These problems of being disconnected from one another and disconnected from a greater call, Jesus has answers for. Right? So there's good news. Still with me? This is going really well. All right. These connections we get to a a greater story, to a greater call, connections to a new family. We could call those, I think, fairly true riches, spiritual riches. They are beyond simply what we can see and touch and hear and experience in a merely earthly way. They are spiritual riches. Yes? They are true riches. And we learned last week that if we want to increase in spiritual riches, what do we have to do? Be faithful in the material riches. The material riches are are not nothing. They're the proving ground for the bigger thing. And so if we want to experience the true riches of, of being connected, of living fully into the good news of Jesus Christ, we would do well to learn some lessons about what we do with the less spiritual riches that we have. Yes? Yes. This is going really well. I like it down here. Now, what I'm telling you today is that God wants to teach us what to do with our material resources. And I think in this room, if we think about ourselves in the context of the greater world... Okay, we could even say, I think, safely, our material wealth 
I think most of us have a place to stay at night, and most of us are eating at least a meal a day. And so from a worldly perspective, we're pretty well off in here. I didn't eat breakfast. I forgot I was so excited to come here and preach. I forgot to eat breakfast. But I'm going to eat later. All right. I'm feeling pretty wealthy. So God teaches us what to do with our material resources so that we can participate more fully in our new adoptive family. That's us. And even bigger. There's a few more of us out there somewhere. Uh, Two billion or so, right? Not bad. And... And he teaches us what to do with our material resources so we can participate more fully in our new purpose, God's own mission. When God's name is glorified, when God's name is made great, that's the expanding of his mission or the fulfilling of his mission. All right. I'm going to work mostly in the Second Corinthians text this morning. Um, where's Rex? Rex did great. I changed this reading like three times this week. Really sorry. Jim, sorry. I'm excited to be here still. All right. So, um, but this is where I've landed, and I think this helps us set our minds around what exactly God wants us to do with what we have. Now, we noticed in the very beginning the word generous is like throughout this passage. If you want to verify that, you can open back up to 2 Corinthians 9. If you look down, um, I'll know you're reading your Bibles. The word generous is throughout. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. This is common sense. And not everything in heavenly riches and in the spiritual world is common sense, but this is one that follows. Jesus says, the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. Well, guess what? Crops are code for kingdom. All right? Crops are code for kingdom. If we want to see and be a part of the growing of the kingdom, we're going to have to sow generously. If we want to see a little increase, by all means, put in just a little. But I don't think God is after a little bit of growth. He gave the law to his people. Um, and called out for himself a people. But a people wasn't enough. He wants all peoples. Big kingdom. And so I think he's asking us to think how we can be generous to plant many seeds for a big crop. Okay? I think this is all fairly common sense still. I don't think I'm preaching something strange yet, right? All right. I want to spend time this morning talking about how we can invest generously and wisely in relationships. Because I think that is where perhaps the pinnacle of true spiritual riches can be found when it comes to what we do with our stuff and our time. Because I think in those relationships, we also find our relationship with God nurtured as well and strengthened as well. Now, I'm I'm saying investing very carefully as opposed to spending. When you spend, I see something, I want something, I trade something, and I get something right now. Or sometimes I wait for Amazon for two days, and then it's here. But basically, instant gratification, I see, I want, I buy, 
it's here, and I have the thing, and that's pretty much it, right? When you invest, what happens? It takes time. There's a return. And hopefully, if, if I spend $50 and I buy something that's worth $50, what do I have at the end? At best, I have $50. Hopefully, when I invest, I get something more than I put in. You put in a little mustard seed, and what comes out? A tree. Can we do that all on our own? Are we in control? No, that's what that first bit of Mark says, right? It happens. God makes it happen. We don't know all of the details. We want to invest rather than simply expect a a transaction. So we want to invest generously. We want to invest wisely. We invest generously because God rewards our work so that we can be generous. That's real circular logic. I love Paul. But that's real circular logic. We're gonna, you're you're going to be generous so that um, you can be generous. But it turns out that generosity itself is a spiritual reward. Why? Generosity helps us to be less attached to the lesser things. It's okay to enjoy the physical, material world. It's okay. God made it. But we don't want to get too attached, right? Generosity helps us to, um, if, if we're less attached here, we can be more attached to the spiritual. Generosity helps us live more simply. When we're accumulating fewer things, there's more room for people, I think. When we're less busy with entertainment, there's more room for people. And when we are with God's people, we are with two or three gathered together. Who else will be there with us? But Jesus. All right. So God rewards our work, what we do, so we can be generous. And that generosity itself is a spiritual reward. A larger, more generous investment leads to a larger harvest. Do we want to see a larger harvest? I think that's written down somewhere, right? On the front of your bulletin, I think, we, we talk about building God's kingdom. Do you want to be a part of that? I do, because you know what? God is where, his, where God's mission is advancing. God is especially there. And so if we can be a part of that, even with our stuff, we can be more fully with God. So our choice to be generous if we are open to it, will allow us to increase in the spiritual riches that are inside us, but also around us. And generosity helps us to treat our family like family. And what I mean is that new adoptive family. It's, it's amazing to me. God doesn't say Charging interest is morally, objectively, always evil, does he, to the, to the nation of Israel? No. But he's speaking to a people who, what? Where had they been? They had been slaves hundreds of years. Do you think they had a whole lot? No. 
they plundered the Egyptians by just asking. There was a, you know, there was a lawsuit a few years ago. Egypt was trying to sue all Jewish people everywhere to get their stuff back. <laughs> you, you gave it. I mean, you know. Um, but he knows the temptation when you don't have anything and then you begin to have some things, we can start to get a little addicted to the accumulation of stuff. Uh, I know sometimes I fight that. I buy a thing on Amazon and it shows up and I open the package. Oh, that's nice. Maybe I'll work an extra job. I'll get a little more money so I can buy something else. And you, I mean, it's just part of our, I think, uh, a temptation that some of us find. Now, so... God is helping create some boundaries so that the Israelites don't see one another as opportunities to get more money and get more stuff. He says, I want you to flourish. I want you to prosper in the land I'm giving you. And if all you're thinking about is material wealth, you will not prosper. Now, that is not what is being taught outside these walls. Right? What's being taught is, the bigger house, the nicer car, the bigger account, earlier retirement, these things are prospering. God says, that's not pro- living with me, knowing me, being with me, that's prospering. So he, he starts setting boundaries because the way that we behave shapes who we are. Right? Okay. To invest generously is its own reward, but it also leads to rewards. We still there? Okay. Um, well, here's the Deuteronomy thing. See, can't, I can do one and a half things at once, I guess. We also want to invest wisely. The trouble is what's wise in the ways of God is not always wise in the ways of the world. Okay. Let me go back. What's wise in the ways of the Lord is not always wise in the ways of the world. And so we're going to do things that we did not, we're not getting trained for outside of the church. We need to be comparing our choices with what the Bible teaches us, with what the Holy Spirit is convicting us, and not a worldly standard. If we want to invest wisely in relationships. All right, well, there are some opportunities for investing, I think. Um, one is in discipleship, right? When we invest time, time is a, it's not exactly material, but it is finite, right? We all have the same amount of time. You can't make time. You can't, I mean, you can't really make time, right? We all have a certain amount. Can't buy time. We have what we have. When we invest time, in discipleship, that is not always, a, in a worldly way, a wise thing to do. That's time we could be seeking pleasure or working to earn money or going on vacation or whatever, right? Discipleship takes time to really help someone else live as a disciple. I mean, dozens, hundreds of hours a year, right? Right? You can't have that back once you invest it. But what you get back, I mean, what do, you, what do you get back? When you invest time in a disciple, what do you get back? Growth. Who grows? 
We both grow. We get more like Jesus and therefore closer to him. And, you know, hopefully disciples make more disciples. We see kingdom growth. It comes at a cost of um, intrusion sometimes. You're making a disciple. Sometimes he calls you because he got arrested for drunk in public. And it's Saturday morning and he wants you to come get him out of jail because he messed up. Sometimes it means you can't always have the quiet dinner with the family that you want because you're, you're making room in your life for somebody else to, to be a part of that. But we grow in Christ-likeness. We grow, the, the kingdom grows. There's a return on that investment. Or, or you know, even um, outside of discipleship, well, let's see, uh, friendship even, um, it's not quite the same thing, is it? But when we invest in friendships, I mean, we, we have been through some stuff here the last few months, haven't we? There are people here who are really going through some stuff. Imagine where we would be in times of trial without friendship. That's an investment that has to be made. Right? You can't buy that when you, just when you need it. You, 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 I mean, that's a long-term return. Um. Investing, well, there's some opportunities, right? I'm going to talk about how in just a little bit. There's also opportunities to invest in mission, right? We want to, to reach non-believers. It doesn't do any good to go on mission to people who already believe that's sensible. Um, so what are some ways we do that? Well, I, I think of a, I have a friend, his name is, well, I can't say his name, actually. He's in a part of the world where it's illegal to be a Christian. Um, he... For fifteen hundred dollars, can bore a well in a mountain village. Now, you say, "Well, that's that's not evangelism; that's mercy ministry." But here's where this idea of investment—what I'm, I'm really, I think, diving at today. My friend bores a well. Why well, he doesn't bore? He, you know, they equipment and they hire. But they put a well in the village. Fifteen hundred American dollars. Every time he's done it, he has gotten a church. He digs a well, but the return is not clean water. The return is a church. And there are a lot of reasons for that. One is that, first of all, when you come out of nowhere and put a well in a village that might be hours from clean water, people ask, what, why in the world would you do this for free? When you show that God loves even you and your people in your village, people pay attention. But he's also unashamed to just simply preach the gospel. And when you, so around this well, people gather and demons are cast out and witch doctors are converted and the gospel is preached. That well is an investment in the relationships that can be built around it. It's not just a well. Now, I don't have to tell you, but $1,500 in the United States does not get you a church the way we tend to do it. And, and there are lots of other ways he could spend that 1500 that wouldn't necessarily get him a church. But he has found a way, and this is a couple of dozen times now he's done it, I believe, like 30 times, 15 times. He has dug a well and gotten a church. And he... The ability to train up a local pastor who will keep preaching when he leaves. 
That is a wise investment. That is someone who has recognized the opportunity that God has made there. We, as individuals, can open up our homes, right? So an investment in the kingdom is not always about forking over money to somebody else. We can use what God has given. We can be generous with our homes, with our cars. Not, I mean, don't give away your car, but rides, right? Being in a carpool is a way to meet people. Um, there, I have a friend who lives in the, uh, the, or the, Dallas, the, metro, the District of Columbia metro area, D.C. metro area. And uh, he will go to the um, park and ride lots. He'll pick up um, commuters who want to go into town and he'll drive them. And proper etiquette in D.C. is when you do this, this is a thing that people do. They call them slugs. You know, they fill up the car so they can ride in the high occupancy vehicle lanes. Yeah, slugs. They're sp- it's supposed to be we don't speak to each other. We just treat each other like, you know, slugs. But not my friend. My friend says, I've got people in my car. They're going to hear about Jesus today. Yeah. Right? He doesn't have to share his car. He could ride the metro, put his headphones on, you know, be on Facebook or whatever. And, you know, that would, nobody could say he's doing something immoral if he did that. But he's making an investment with his vehicle and the time God has given him to tell people about Jesus. Hospitality. We need to take a look at what we have. What has God given you that you can use? How are we spending money? And this is a wonderful thing that as, as one starts to do it, and another starts to do it, and another, our church begins to do it also together. We're generous here with our building, right? We're generous with our time. And as the church together does it, what happens? Well, now I'm more encouraged. It's more natural for me to do it, and I do more. And then the church together is doing it. And this is a virtuous cycle. Our investment is almost like the, you know, um, investing the interest, right, or investing the returns. We begin to invest over and over. And then as the kingdom grows, there are more people who have more things that can be invested. This is how these spiritual riches work. There is always going to be enough by God's mercy. left uh, hospitality we kind of talked about that didn't we hospitality. we have a home that we rented this specific house because it is a great house to have people over to sometimes we've done better with that than others right but there's sometimes a more creative approach needed and so I want to talk about one way for example to think a little more Strategically, just again to help give you some ideas about what you can be doing. I talked about my street, my neighbors disconnected, right? Now, my this is again, I'm not this is not as I do. You go do the same. This is hopefully to get you thinking about what you can do here with what God has given you and your people and your neighborhood. But in my neighborhood, almost everybody is young families. Um, our little street is kind of the exception where we have lots of people who have been there for 18 or more years. Most people on my block or in our neighborhood and in our, even in our zip code are young families. They moved out there for the schools. And so <clears throat> it's hard to get neighbors together as neighbors. But we're all parents of students at our public schools. 
That's our thing in St. John's. We have schools that you send your kids to. Thou shalt not send thy children to private school. Thou shalt not homeschool thy children in St. John's. These are cultural, you know, commandments. Now, for some, that's a frustration. You know, I wish there was a, there were more private. But it's also an opportunity because all the people that can't get together on their own block are getting together over there. So where do I need to be if I want to see the kingdom grow and I want to help people get connected to each other and to Jesus? Where can I go? I can't go on the city or the, you know, the, the, the city square. We don't have those in St. John's. I can't hold a sign on the street corner you know, and be a street preacher because we don't really have that in St. John's. But I have a school that I can go to and there are 500 students that are going to be there next year. And most of them, if they're like people on my street, are not in church on Sunday. Every once in a while, I don't come to church on Sunday morning. Sometimes. If I watch my window, silence all morning long. There's nobody driving by. There's nobody going to church for the most part. A few. But, but I can go over here. So I had a meeting with my, uh, the principal of the school that's a mile away from us. She gave me a whole list of needs. And it's a little more than thoughts and prayers that are needed. They need, like, stuff. And some of the stuff doesn't even cost very much. They need notes to encourage teachers. Well, I can invest time in that. I can buy some note cards. I can encourage teachers. Y'all can, too. And you're going to hear more about that a little closer to the school year, probably. But they need people who will just come and make sure nothing bad is happening during pickup and drop-off. I can do that. That's a material investment. I'm investing my time. I'm investing, and that time for me, you know, um, planting a church, I also um, do IT consulting on the side. So if I'm an hour at the school, that's an hour I'm not working. That's an hour I'm not earning income. That's a material investment for me. But that's an opportunity to speak to people who I wouldn't otherwise get to speak to and to help them find an even more important connection to a God who longs them to call out, Abba, Father. They can do that. Uh, they need all kinds. I mean, she gave me a whole list. No one asked. Nobody had asked. All year, last school year, every single month, she asked, there's a coordinator of this network, can you find me a faith partner? All the churches around. Now, I mean, they're good. I'm not saying they're bad people. They just, they didn't think there's a school here that's a mission field for whatever reason. But God, God asked me to do it. So I asked and she was ready to tell me how I can connect with the people in her church. All right. What can you look at around you? Where is a place that you can help people answer those two questions? Who am I connected to? What's my greater story? And you can help them to find Jesus. Where can you invest Time, treasure, talent. Where can you do that investing wisely and generously so that we and others can participate more fully in the life of God and his mission? I can't answer that for you. I cannot say go read, you know, 3 Samuel 9.17. That's my book. I, there's nowhere I can point you that will say, 
steps one, two and three. But you can think you can look around and I think together we can do. We can create the space that God will work through. Right. And we can participate more fully in what God has for us. Wise and generous investing in relationships. Amen. Amen. All right.